If you've ever wondered why your cat keeps doing that thing, you know, that thing I'm talking about, then Online Behavior Day might be the conference for you. Join us for in-depth discussions and FAQs with expert consultants Pam Johnson-Bennett, Tabitha Cusera, and Dr. Rachel Geller, and Arden Moore on Saturday, April 9th. Visit communitycatspodcast.com to learn more and register today. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we are speaking with Kat Albrecht Thiessen. Kat is a police detective turned pet detective and the founder director of the Missing Animal Response Network. Since 1997, Kat has worked search dogs trained to find lost pets and is widely known as the leading authority on lost pet behaviors and pet detective training. Kat is the author of two books, Pet Tracker, The Amazing Story of Rachel, the Canine Pet Detective, and Dog Detectives Train Your Dog to Find Lost Pets. Kat, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Stacy. So before we dive into all the work that you're doing, first and foremost, our listeners always want to know, how did you become passionate about cats? Wow. Well, I was actually never much of a cat cat person, right? I was always a dog lover and I was into showing horses, but I always had a cat, but I never had realized that cats can have different personalities because apparently the cats that I had were the aloof, snooty ones that (laughs) didn't want affection, you know, and I wanted a dog-like cat and I didn't know that they existed. But my life took a different turn. I was a police officer and bloodhound handler. And in 1996, my bloodhound escaped and was lost in the woods. And I used another search and rescue dog to track him down and find him. And I began using and training my search dogs to find lost pets. And as I began to do that, I began to work with a lot of cat owners. And they would talk about their cats like I would talk about my dogs, right? You know, these personalities and he's a clown and he does this and he does that. And I'm like, where are these cats? <laughs> you know, I have to have one. And uh, so I ended up getting uh, to adopting from uh, two different shelters, two different cats that ended up helping me in my efforts to train cat detection dogs. So these were cats that had jobs, they were called target cats, and they were trained to crate quietly. And they were fearless around dogs. And um, yeah, they became an, an, a, a very important part of the program that I've since developed. So yeah. Before you became a pet detective, you were a police officer. And, you know, I'm just wondering, how did that experience apply to your development into becoming a pet detective? Was this helpful? Was there a transition that was sort of natural or was two separate careers? It was a natural transition. And it most definitely prepared me for looking for lost pets and lost cats in particular. Yeah, it seems like a crazy uh, connection. But what it did was, I was trained in search and rescue. And so as part of two different SAR teams, uh, both in California, and I had been trained in what's called search management, you know, search managers just don't send searchers to wander aimlessly in the woods when a person is lost. 
There's a strategic plan. There's been research done on lost person behavior. And what I began to study and look at was, was because I had that training and was trained in crime scene investigation and, and you know, processing evidence. When I started looking for cats, I started bringing in those principles and those tools. I began looking at how do cats behave when they're lost. I remember Googling back in the mid-90s, lost cat behavior, and nothing came up. Now you Google and a lot of things come up because we've done a lot of articles, a lot of training, workshops, and what have you. But that's what pulled me on that path of using the science that exists to find missing people, applying it towards missing cats, and found that it really works. Very effective. It's really fascinating, you know, trying to think about how people respond when their pet gets lost or is missing. And there's sort of this like, ah, I don't know, what do I do? Do I you know, put on my Facebook page or, oh, it's a cat. Cat will just come home when cat feels like it. Or, you know, so there's your, what you're mentioning, talking about a structure where we maybe didn't have that structure. Do you feel, you know, 20 years later that we do have more of a systematic structure when it comes to finding lost cats? Not as much as we're seeing in the field of lost dog recovery. We've seen an explosion with the Facebook pages, the lost and found pet pages, which of course, a lot of them, people do post cats on there and what have you, but we've seen more of the field teams that go out and actually do hands-on assistance with pet owners to help recover their dog or their cat. We've seen more people in the dog camp than in a cat camp. And then we've also had a misinformation that is out there that is spread like wildfire. And I'm sure that many of your listeners probably share this this tip. And it's the dirty cat litter myth. (laughs) A meme that came up, maybe it's been about five years ago now, that is shared widely and even posted on shelter pages and what have you to put your cat's dirty litter box on the porch and your cat will smell it from a mile away and it will bring them home. Well, I don't have a lot of time to get into all of this, but I do have a blog that explains what a questionable cause logical fallacy is. And that's exactly what that is. The cats are going to, not all cats, and it depends on the temperament of the cat, the the environment, the terrain where it disappears. But when an indoor-only cat escapes outside, they're often hiding very close to the escape point in silence, and then they have to reach what's called a threshold point. Some cats, it takes only four hours. The more gregarious cats, more skittish cats, it may take three to five days before they get hungry and thirsty enough that they will break cover and come back to the porch. So it's not necessary to put the litter box outside, but there are other things that need to be done um, instead of that, that aren't being done by cat owners. And those are the messages that we want to get out is to educate people. There's a proper way of looking for your cat that needs to be done. And it's not being done in most cases. It's made an interesting statement there talking about when there's an indoor only cat that goes outside and you have a, a, a sign behind you with reward, lost cat behind you there on our video. And there's different types of cats. There's indoor only cats, there's indoor outdoor cats. You know, is there a timeline? When is a cat considered a lost cat? You know, as an indoor only cat, is it when it escapes right out the door, then the clock starts right then that's the lost cat. And then the indoor outdoor cat, you know, when do you tag that cat as a lost cat? When do we worry? Because we hear stories about people saying, oh, it's been five days. I just thought Fluffy was going to come home and I haven't done anything. But my understanding is, you know, the sooner you get on it, the better your chances are. Am I wrong in that? 
No, you're absolutely right. And it's a, it's really dangerous to be thinking, oh, well, he was missing for three, you know, he, he didn't come home for three days one time. And so he'll, you know, he's okay. And he'll do that again. You never know when, when an indoor only cat escapes outside, they're oftentimes hiding nearby in silence. And that knowledge can help you in getting that cat back home. When an outside access cat vanishes, it means something has happened. So it's an entirely different investigation and approach that we take to those. And the, the advice that we give and, and how we coach people is very different because something has happened, meaning your cat could be trapped and can't come home. He could have been chased out of the territory, beat up by another cat. But what's really dangerous is the behavior of a scared cat, a sick cat, or an injured cat is they will hide in silence often within their territory and often within their outdoor litter box. When our volunteers or our pet detectives go out and do a physical search for a missing cat, they have the cat owner get permission from the neighbors and they go yard to yard looking under and in every conceivable hiding place with a strong flashlight. And, and sometimes we have cat detection dogs as well. And so many of the times that we have found cats that were sick or injured, they were deceased in their outdoor litter box. So it's very important to know that your cat might not be coming home because he needs to get to the vet and it's an emergency and you need to find him in time to save his life. And so that's the one, the one component that we're seeing that cat owners aren't doing is that they're not getting permission from the neighbor to, for them, the cat owner, to go into the neighbor's yard to do that slow methodical search. What they're doing instead is they're posting flyers in the neighborhood or they're being bold and they're knocking on the neighbor's door, handing them a flyer and saying, would you please, you know, my cat's missing. Would you call me if you see him? Well, your neighbor is not going to see your cat if your cat is underneath their deck and needs to get to the vet. They're not going to crawl on their belly under your house or under their deck. That's what you need to do. And that's the type of search. We have research to back this up on our website. There's a button that you push that says missing cat study. And you can read and look at that study. And it shows that uh, we interviewed over 1,200 cat owners who had lost and then found their cat and found that of the indoor-only cats, the majority of them or the median distance that these cats were found was within a two-house radius of their home. With the outdoor cats that didn't come home, they were within a block. So, so that search area needs to be small, and it really needs to be that you're getting into yards looking for your cat. What if, whether you're a single woman or you're you know, in an area, what if you feel unsafe trying to explore that with your neighbors? Is that something that we actually would ask our animal control officer to help support us with? I don't think that animal control officers are going to have time to go out on a search. Typically, when we do these type of searches, it takes about two hours. This is why we need people trained to do this. This is why we're looking for more cat lovers that would be interested in incorporating lost cat recovery services into their rescue or their TNR work. The people that we've trained up, most of them go out and they charge a fee for the service or they ask for a donation for the service because there's the, there's so many missing cats out there. They're not, they, nobody could, unless if you're doing this as a full-time job, could be out there looking for cats every day in your community. We do have some people that do this work full-time. But we, I don't want people to get the misinformation that they think they can make a living at this. Because, but it, but it certainly is a way that you could be funding your spay neuters and your, you know, your vet bills for your cats by offering this. Because what you're doing is you're doing a couple of things. You're helping cat owners that are desperate 
Not every cat owner is going to be desperate when their cat's missing, right? Um, but you're helping the cat owner, you're helping to save this cat's life, and you're mitigating this cat from entering the shelter. So you're helping with the overpopulation of shelters where many missing cats end up going and aren't reclaimed. So we just really want to encourage people, to cons- cat lovers, to consider this is a service that's needed in your community. So tell me a little bit about the Missing Animal Response Network and how did you get it started? So I formed uh, initially Missing Pet Partnership, which was a national nonprofit organization. But in 2017, I, I branched off from them and formed the network, which is of a lot of volunteers and for-profit pet detectives that are out there, um, primarily in North America, but we do have some in Europe and Australia. But these are people that are uh, listed on our website to go out and offer the field services. You know, they'll they'll help with trapping cats, trapping dogs. They use set up feeding stations with cameras and, and uh, they're trained in forensics and a lot of other principles on how to look for missing pets. So our website is out there with uh, lost pet recovery tips, but then also we offer the training courses. So we're continually training, uh, training people. And then we have that uh, pet detective directory that's listed there. Fantastic. That is a, it's a tremendous resource. And you, you made an interesting comment there saying too, if you wanted to get paid for helping with lost cats or whatever, that, that might help with some of your spay neuter costs or feeding your colony. And, you know, we talked about indoor outdoor cats. I get calls from colony caretakers about missing cats from their colonies because they are so emotionally vested. They, they do have a sense of family with regards to their colony cats. And you know, they can, some of them, they, as we wander off or whatever, and there are incredible challenges there. But I think maybe there are some tips from the indoor outdoor concept too, that might be able to help um, with regards to a missing colony cat. At the end of the day, we have to get to know our neighbors, you know, when we have to interact with them, because, you know, I will say a lot of folks say I've done everything I posted on Facebook. First thing I did was post on Facebook. And not to knock that because Facebook, you know, does have a power to it, but, you know, you do have to talk to your neighbors and find out what, what they've got going on and, you know, what, what's been happening and, and that kind of thing too. Um, and many neighbors are feeding colony cats and we don't, we don't know it. I mean, many cats have three or four different feeders. So I think it's really important that the folks in the neighborhood know who's feeding the cats so that then they can sort of check in on them that way. But it is challenging because people have to get to know other people. I will say I have interviewed some folks, though, who have been brand new TNR folks, and they've said it was the getting out there and doing TNR on a colony got them to know their neighbors. You know, it was an experience, it was more community. So when they were isolated during the pandemic, they didn't have social. Their social was going out and working with the neighbors to try and trap the cats and get shelters put in place. So, I mean, I guess that's the spin side of the whole thing. But I think it's great. The more people we could have trained to know how to trap cats, to know how to help with lost cats, there's it's a win-win no matter what. Oh, yeah. yeah. We also teach in our course about one of the reasons why shelter workers are seeing these cats coming in and nobody reclaiming them when they, in cases where they know this cat was owned by somebody, you know, it's wearing a collar, it's got, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, they, they just know that somebody owns this cat. Well, we explained this in a course about how th- this fact of the, the cats are hiding in silence and not being found. Because again, what typically happens is the, the cat doesn't come home. The owner 
put light in the neon. Just pieces nobody can read from a distance anyway. You need to be doing the big neon posters. And then they ask neighbors to call if they see the cat, but nobody sees the cat because it's hiding in fear a half a block away. And then the owner goes to the shelter, keeps going to the shelter, stops going to the shelter. And that cat, three months later, is humanely trapped by somebody who thinks it's a feral cat because they're seeing the skittish behavior and their assumption is it's a feral that's another thing that's really important for TNR people to realize that this same behavior in cats, where you see a cat that's when you trap it, it hisses, spits, twirls. That is a scared cat. That doesn't mean that that's a feral cat. I can show you videos where shelters have euthanized people's pet cats because a neighbor humanely trapped them. The cat was hissing, spitting, lunging, and thought to be a wild feral cat. They immediately euthanized it, and it was somebody's pet that they said has never been mean right? So this fearful behavior is misinterpreted as a lack of tameness. It's funny, you see the same behavior in dogs due to genetics and puppyhood experiences, a dog that's hardwired to be fearful and afraid and reactive. And when people, when you raise your hand and the dog cowers, people think the dog was physically abused. So people see scared behavior dogs, they think the dog was abused, they see it in cats, they think the cat is feral. And we treat those animals differently when we see them or encounter them. And what we need to be thinking is that this might be a lost pet that has a skittish temperament. I need to scan it for a chip and put up a found cat poster and see if somebody owns this cat. As someone who's juggling it all, trying to keep people and pets together, you need easy access to resources to help you do just that. That's where Maddie's Pet Forum comes in. From adoption SOPs to TNR guidelines, you'll find it all. Have you joined yet? It's free. Visit forum.maddiesfund.org slash cats today. Could your animal welfare organization use a tune-up? Humane Network can help. You can get a free 30-minute consultation to talk through your challenges and get ideas on how your organization can be more successful with less stress. From board development and fundraising to strategic planning and operations, Humane Network has got you covered. Whether you are a large or small, nonprofit or government, it's a live and thriving program led by a certified animal behavior consultant features specially designed training for shelter and clinic staff on enrichment, stress reduction, safe animal handling, and behavior modification. With Humane Network, you receive individualized advice and support customized to meet your organization's unique needs. And Humane Network can lighten your load by taking on fundraising, communications, and other tasks you struggle with. Contact Humane Network today for a free 30-minute consultation. Visit humanenetwork.org. That's humanenetwork.org. If you're running a rescue, you're probably overloaded with tons of tasks pulling you in even more directions. Dog and cat intakes, volunteers to communicate with, fosters to find and pass info to, and don't forget about managing the all-important donations. It's easy to become overwhelmed. Miss critical information and worst of all, lose volunteers. Buzz to the Rescues offers an integrative platform that can help you gain back your time, streamline your workload, and clearly communicate with everyone on your team. Learn more at www.rescueyourrescue.com and gain back your peace of mind today. Let me ask you a little bit about microchips because uh, some of our listeners may not even know what they are. Can you tell me specifically what microchips are and what are your thoughts around microchipping Indoor, outdoor cats, indoor only cats, colony cats. What, what are your thoughts on, on all of those different populations? Yeah. So real quickly, microchip, it's a grain sized uh, device that is implanted through uh, at your vet or at your shelter. 
when you scan it with a microchip scanner, it will, a serial number will pop up. That serial number, you need to register when you microchip your animal, you have to register in a, there's like databases that are out there. And you, when you get it, your animal microchip, they explain how to do that because there's different microchip companies. And then if your animal is picked up, uh, and taken to a vet or to a shelter and they scan it, then your owner information pops up and they can contact you. Highly recommended. Highly recommended that all cats be microchipped, especially indoor only. Now, I hear this often. I never let them outside or my cat doesn't go outside. I don't need them to have them chipped. No, you do because your cat is at risk of being mistaken as being a feral because when it escapes outside, more than likely, not all cats but most cats are going to hide and be fearful. And if the cat's taken to the shelter and it's cowering in the, in the cage, if you don't have it microchipped and you don't have a collar and tag on it, then you're just risking that you're never going to see your cat again. Speaking of collars, are there specific types of collars that you recommend, you know, one type over another? Not really. Well, just a breakaway collar, you know, one that is going to give because obviously if the cat is allowed outside or gets outside, then, you know, it, or even inside the house. I mean, I had my cat once, you know, have his, he had a stretchy collar on, but he got it somehow got it hooked in his mouth. And I was glad I was there to see it, you know, but, but yeah, you know, having a collar on is a, you know, added source of protection for your cat, but obviously not all cats can wear them. You mentioned uh, to me a little bit before we started the recording of the show, a little bit about lost cat recovery teams. What what does that look like? And what kind of plan do you have about having us develop more of them? So a lost cat recovery team would be a group of volunteers, probably, you know, eight to 10 people, maybe more, maybe less. Um, we have like one team out east that's in, um, I, I think they're in North Carolina, that has just two uh, two gals that have been trained by us that they're just recovering cats left and right. And they post their stories and what have you. What they're doing is when somebody has lost a cat and they reach out to them, then they're coaching them. They're supplying them or putting up for them the big neon lost cat posters. And they are going out and setting up oftentimes a plate of food with a game or wildlife camera to that will take pictures and show if the cat is in that area. I mean, this is one of the strategies that we use to determine because we know the cat is somewhere. We know the cat will eventually get hungry, but it really depends on the temperament of the cat, on whether it's going or how long it will take it to respond to food. But uh, they're setting up the camera. And then once you catch the cat on camera and you know it's there, it's going to come back to that spot for food more than likely. And so you then work on then setting up the the humane trap. Sometimes we have to do a trapping operation using the drop trap, just like a lot of TNR people do. We have one case where it took, it was just posted the other day where those two gals that I mentioned, they worked for four months to catch one cat because the cat just would not go into a standard humane trap. Obviously when a cat will go in a humane trap, it makes it very easy. But when you have a cat that is too fearful to go into the trap, then you've got to get creative. Another technique that we teach pet owners or that we coach them into is using their house as a trap. So this is where we instruct them how they can crack their front door open, smear cat uh, wet cat food on the beam above the door, put dollops of the wet cat food leading into the house and then a crunchy plate of food. And then they sit there in the chair and stay awake or fall asleep. But when they hear the crunchy cat food crunching, they know to kick the door closed and trap the cat inside the house. So that's a very uh, common technique because uh, many times a cat will return to the front door or to the window they escape from. 
I actually had that happen with a feral cat of mine that I had, you know, she was an indoor only feral um, and she got out. She spent a couple of months living with a family of turkeys out in my backyard. <laughs> so there was like the mom turkey and the little babies. And then there was Kachina right at the back of the of the line marching along with them all. And she had a grand old time. But she uh, we she had a buddy cat, luckily, in the house. Um, and he was an older fellow and he was failing in health. So he would sort of just lounge on the deck and come up to him. And we actually, we used him sort of as the bait to get her back in the house because she loved him so much that he, it was enough to peel him away to, to get, you know, get her back in, into the house. And, but it took us a couple of months to do that. And she, she did, she had a really a grand time outside with those turkeys. It was funny. Yeah, and the, sometimes just changing the bait, you know, if a cat won't go into a humane trap, we've seen cases where um, things that they changed up, we had one cat up in Canada that had like a gotten its head stuck in this bug trap thing, and it couldn't see, it was blocking its vision, but he could hear, and anytime ACO or anybody would get close to him, he would scurry off. And what they used was they just used, you know, wet cat food, but they used uh, one of the large dog traps. Right. And then the cat was able to fit in there without the trap, the bug trap getting caught on it. Uh, we've had one cat that refused or just wouldn't respond to food, wouldn't go under the drop trap. And it responded to a chamomile lavender calming collar. And that was how we put that in the humane trap. And it went in with that. It's like crazy. But it took us two months to figure that out because he just wouldn't respond to other food. So, yeah, sometimes you just got to be creative. If uh, folks wanted to learn how to do like what the ladies are doing in North Carolina and the work that you do, how would they do that? Yep. Easy. Just go to our website. It's missinganimalresponse.com. And then you can click on the training page and see when we have the next classes coming up. We, we uh, run probably about three group classes a year, but we also train self-paced so that you can work through the course at your own time. So it's a, a basically an eight week course. And uh, yeah, we just encourage you to go there or link to our website and look at our tips and, you know, share, share our information with others. We just want to get lost cats back home. Before we sign off, I want to ask you one question too, is my cat goes out or is out, you know, in the first 24 hours, what are the things that I should be doing? Yeah. The first 24 hours, um, very important that you, um, that you talk to your neighbors to get into their yards to look and it, start in your own yard, you know, and you, you're like, if your cat gets uh, escapes outside, you want to hug the edges of the house. First go to the right, then go to the left, look for anything, any bushes, or is there access under your home? You can crawl under and, and then expand outward. Um, but then getting up the neon uh, posters in your neighborhood as well, you know, social media, contacting the shelter, just doing all the things. But really, the one thing that we're not seeing done is that physical search inside neighbors' yards. Use a flashlight. Don't expect the cat's going to meow. Uh, and he very well may be under a shed, under a deck, but very close. It's just critical to do that, that close search. One other thing that I've found is trying to think like a shepherd dog. In some cases, you know, going back to that sort of herding them into the house, you can do that. I've, I also had a couple of cats that got out into my garage, which was attached to my house. And I could very easily picture myself walking in a certain way so that they'd want to scoot out of that, out of the garage, rather than directing myself in such a way that that would get them into the basement, you know, instead. So trying to think a strategic about like a, a large personal space, like moving them, but not not holding them, but directing them, you know, 
I think there's a commercial out there about herding cats, like cowboys and horses. (laughs) Good, Stacy. Good try. Yeah. I mean, and I had another one who fell out of a window and and it really hugged to the side of the house right under the window. And it was like, oh, what happened? I felt because the screen popped out, which I'm sure that's not the first time that that's happened. After that, I ended up making sure my screens were like screwed in to the house really tight. So, you know, there are many ways a cat can get out of the house for sure. It's not just through the door. Or escape the carrier at the vet involved in rollover car accidents. I mean, we see everything all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Kat, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today before we close out? Just to remember that there's a difference between how an indoor only cat behaves when it's lost versus the outdoor access cat. Uh, And those that are working colonies that if you have a cat disappear, you know, go to our website, we've got a lot of information on there about lost cat behavior that may be helpful to you. Sounds great. And what is that website? Again, it's missinganimalresponse.com. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, Kat, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think. And a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. community